You are listening to episode 91 of the Hench and Dad podcast, and in this episode, I'm going to be going over Ultraman Ginga, which is the first in my New Generation June series. At the risk of sounding a little bit pretentious, Ultraman Ginga is to me an example of a flawed, yet honestly a transcendent show, in my humble opinion. You can watch through it, you can see all the cracks, the problems, the low-budget nature, and Nonetheless, though, the real heart behind the show shines through, creating a very unique entry in the Ultraman mythos. Hi, I'm Wes, I'm the Henshin Dad, and today I'm going to be looking at Ultraman Ginga, the first in my New Generations June series of podcast episodes looking at the, well, all of the seasons in the New Generation Heroes umbrella, I guess you would call it. So my experience with Ultraman Ginga is kind of a funny one. Because it's definitely not the first Ultraman series I watched. And I know I had seen like clips of it, you know, floating around when I was returning back from Korea uh, in about 2014. I was familiar with Ultraman Ginga and Ultraman Ginga S because at that point I was, I was pretty big into Tokusatsu. I believe Kamen Rider Gaim was on at that same time. And I can't even remember when Tokyuja aired, but I think it was kind of a similar time period. Maybe it was a different show at, at that point for Sentai. I'm not exactly sure. But nonetheless, I, I still tried to follow the shows as best I could, and Ultraman was just another one of those shows that sounded really interesting to me. Uh, Ginga was obviously a newer show after many years of the show not being on air, and I had already seen uh, the Ultraman Zero movie, the first Ultraman Zero movie, with my roommate in college. So I was familiar with Ultraman at that point. I didn't watch it until several years later, though, until after I watched Ultraman Jeed, which I was a very, very big fan of, you know, for those same types of reasons. It was just a really interesting season to me. But going into Ginga itself, I, I was a little bit... I, I, I want to say that the reason I chose Ginga over some of the other shows that were on Crunchyroll or the VRV app was mostly because it was a short show. There was only like, what was it, 11 or 12 episodes? And some of them were clip shows, so it's like I could actually get through this season pretty quickly and develop a, an interesting opinion over like one of these shorter Ultraman shows. Uh, unlike things like Orb or X, which were you know more than twenty episodes, a little bit more of a commitment. When you know you have one child and you're trying to do your best at a new job, and you know free time just it's kind of fleeting. So I, I went into Ginga just kind of hoping for like, okay, this is just going to be a fun show. And I wasn't expecting necessarily that I would be like learning a lot. But honestly, I feel like that was one of the gateways to really diving in deep with Ultraman in general. I mean, Jeed was great for that. Don't get me wrong. But going into Ginga and seeing the, this like great spark doll war thing happening with this Ultraman Taro, which I was not very familiar with because I hadn't really known any of like the Showa Ultraman series at all at that point. Honestly, I, I probably couldn't have identified like 95% of the Ultraman heroes at that point. So it's, it, you know, it, it was pretty tough, you know, trying to figure out what are the differences between these big giants of light who all have like similar shades of silver, red or blue. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. But seeing that presented as like the big part of the show, like this mystery, even in the opening. You see all of these different ultra heroes get turned into these spark dolls. And then Taro is the only one that gets he gets turned into a spark doll as well. But is the only one that kind of uh, contains sentience, you might even say. And he becomes this talking toy throughout the show, which is honestly, I thought it was great. 
I, I think that was funny, but I'll get to that later. Another reason why I was able to latch on to Ginga so quickly, I definitely think it has to do with that theme song. And I'm reading online and there's like some real confusion for me specifically, like what is the actual theme song? And I'm just going to consider Ginga no Uta the theme song to Ultraman Ginga. I, I honestly can't even identify what the other song is because it doesn't sound familiar to me, but that's the song that I associate Ginga with. And it is an amazing, amazing song. We'll get into talks about the budget later, but I honestly think like 90% of the budget went to just this song because it is fantastic. And I'm reading about detractors of the song on the internet, and I have no idea where they're coming from. Like, no idea. This song just feels objectively fantastic. It gets you pumped. It's so exciting. Like, But it starts out with this very, like, almost like a somber, like, really chorusy sound to it. Like, there is a level of importance that's being put on the song that you, you would not necessarily expect. Like, a lot of, like, shonen anime shows that you would see... You know, they, they tend to go for like the rocking route, you know, where everything's like super high energy and excited. And uh, Ginga no Uta does that. But it's it's the way it's presented at the beginning. It's how it frames the song is like, this is important. And when the visuals like come up, when the song is playing in the opening theme song section, with all of these different ultra heroes being turned into spark dolls, it's like, oh, no, this is important. You need to pay attention to this. And every time the song actually plays, like, during any kind of, like, big fight scene, it's like, this is a good moment. Like, this is a really important moment. This is where the fight is actually going to be turning around. Because Ginga is going to get up. He's going to give a speech to the enemy. and Well, not even an enemy, but this, this kaiju of some sort. He's going to be giving a speech to this person, and it's going to hit them, like, like really hard. And that's a good way to transition over to Ginga himself. Now, the thing about uh, Ultraman Ginga... And it's really interesting because you hardly actually hear like the voice actor for Ginga throughout the series, which is a shame because he is a great voice actor. I cannot remember his exact name at the moment, but he's also the one that played the uh, the bat, Kivat Bat the Third, in Kamen Rider Kiva. And he's also the voice of Kyon from Haruhi Suzumiya, the anime series, which I really enjoyed. I, I, I enjoyed both shows like immensely. And hearing that voice, like, coming out of Ginga, like, during these really important moments, it's like, the, the fact that he's not around very often says a lot about, like, the nature of this character. He has a very, like, just a really distinct, deep voice that I really enjoy. I also loved how they paid, like, homage to the fact that this character exists by making a common writer, Ginga, in the Geo series. And the fact that it's voiced by the same voice actor is just, I think it's a great touch, honestly. It's really funny to me. But Ultraman Giga, just just a just a cool like Ultraman character. He's he's a bit aloof. He's he's not really like showing all of his cards. And there's an air of mystery around the actual like Ultraman proper. Like he's come from the future, but what does that mean? He's not an ultra that's yet been known. But like where is his origin point really? And maybe they do answer this somewhere in some of the ancillary or supplemental supplemental material. I just don't know about it, but it, it's an interesting because I don't necessarily even want to like search up like or wiki dive into like his origins because I think it's OK that it's just kind of mysterious. I, I enjoy that kind of mystery in my shows, and I don't feel like I necessarily have to know every little single thing about it. You know, I, I, I want to allow there to be just something that I don't know, and that's OK. But the host of Ginga, well, Ginga, the host that you that Ginga chooses. I don't know. It's kind of confusing. Uh, Hikaru. I'm not going to delve into all the characters, 
But Hikaru is just a really good-natured hero. And an honestly unlikely pair-up with this very, like, stoic, serious Ginga character. Because, like I said, Ultraman Ginga, he's aloof. He's kind of standoffish. Whereas Hikaru is just, like, he wants to help everybody. He wants to do a lot to take care of the world. He wants to basically solve the problems that he can see. And it's it's a really interesting character type. You know, it's probably a stereotype, really. Like, you got this, like, really good-natured, fiery character who's going to do his best to take care of everybody. But with Hikaru, it, it just really works. He's very simple, but that's I think that's a good thing. He's so simple that he has this just immense compa- compassion for all of these different characters who are influenced by the you know, dark energy or whatever it is that they're, they're encountering that turns them, you know, temporarily evil. Even some of his friends are like that. And he even encounters, you know, the, the guy that has John nine and really like brings him over to the side of good. And I appreciate that. And how they, that guy becomes a character in Giga S later. It, it's, it's just an interesting thing. He's got that shonen, you know, protagonist aura about him, but he's just such a good guy. Just so, so nice. So good. And it's like, so pure even, you know, almost like a child, but that that's okay. You know, you can have your main character just have this like drive to just do good. And that's where, why he's aspirational. It's like, you want to be just like this guy. He's, he's cool. <laughs> like he's just a cool guy. And it's just like, I, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to strive towards that. A couple other things that I just wanted to bring up and I, I'm, this is not going to be exhaustive in any way, shape or form, but mostly just my experiences with the show. I really do genuinely like the Spark Dolls as a concept. I know a lot of people just kind of find just kind of find that like toyetic and really just not an engaging like plot device. But for me, I mean, it's like yeah, it, it's the show's designed to sell toys, so you may as well just put the toys front and center and not try to like you know shoehorn them in later on. You know, and Common Rider is really like super guilty of that most of the time because it's just like the the toys dictate a lot of the story, unfortunately. And that's not to say it doesn't here, like actually work here, but, or that's not what's going on here. But I think it works a little bit better because, you know, it, it feels a little bit more pure and simple. It's just like, oh, these characters have become the toys. And honestly, these toys are like super affordable. <laughs> I have, because of the show, probably like 40 to 50 different uh, the the vinyl figures. And they're really cheap. They're like four bucks a piece. And I, I imagine if you're a kid living in Japan and you can see these things in the bargain bin all the time, it's just like, yes, these are the toys that are actually like in the show. It's, it's the same toy. You can role play this show in your own way because these toys are available to you. And I like that. I, I, there's something nice about that. It's not insidious. I mean, maybe somebody can interpret it as insidious, but I don't think it is. And then finally, I, I, I would not be, I, I, well, I would be remiss if I did not mention this part of Ginga there, where, yes, they have a very simple budget. And obviously they had been dealing with like legal things happening for the past, what, two decades, basically, with all the stuff that was happening in, what is it, China or Thailand or elsewhere in Asia, where they were kind of swindled out of like their rights to the show for a while or something. It was a really, really confusing thing. And I and I imagine they were probably uh, on the uh, verge of bankruptcy at this point because they had probably just been like hammered with all of the, the fees that they would have to be paying up in order to try to get their rights back for the show. And I appreciate the fact that, yeah, it, it's a it's a short 
runtime, you know, a short episode amount, I should say, uh, they were able to basically like have this one set, this like dilapidated school as their set. And that's where they filmed everything. I find that to be honestly encouraging to be to be perfectly blunt there, because I, I, I find that very charming. The fact that they had just such a small budget and you can tell with the, the practical effects and even like the CG effects on the show, like they were really like tight on money. Like I said, they probably spent most of their money on the theme song. And there's a lot of shots that kind of don't make sense. They're really like filler-esque and everything. But I appreciated the, the the practical effects, even if like you can tell exactly what they're doing. It's charming. Like the limitations that they were given in order to get the show off the ground and actually continue with, like I... I don't know how I would have done it. That's for sure. And I, I'm, I'm one that feels like I thrive under like a creative like limitation like that. Like when I know what my limits are, I know how far I can actually stretch things. And I think that's, again, that's even kind of aspirational, to be perfectly honest. They really had a lot of heart to shine through. And I think that they did a good job. I, I really do. You can look at the show and just be like, yep, yeah, that doesn't make sense in the plot. And that's kind of weird. And what's going on here? It's like this contradicts this and everything. It's just like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you can do that. And that's OK. But I think the goal of the show is not to necessarily have this like grand sweeping story, but it's more like this is the story that they wanted to tell. They wanted to inspire kids. And again, like I keep going back to this aspect and a lot of the things that I talk about. But look at the context of Japan at that time. Only a couple of years prior to this show actually existing, like you had the great earthquake of 2011. And I remember a lot of things happening on Twitter at that time because Twitter was like really blossoming as this communication thing. And all of these Japanese actors who had played these heroes on TV shared their messages of support for the children that had been displaced, that had had family members die, that... I, honestly, I, I, they're still feeling the effects even to this day of that earthquake and the resulting damage and fallout of that. And just this is just a couple of years after that when the show is released. You need those heroes for those kids. Those kids need something to look up to. And what better way than to create this? Like, you know, yeah, it's a it's a shoestring budget. Not everything makes sense. And you don't get as much like quality control as you might like. But in the end, think of the impact that this character made on those children and the speeches that he would give. I'm thinking about the one in particular with the uh, lady who's like turns into like the two headed dragon type character who's like spitting fire at him. And he's like, yeah, life is pain. This is going to be, you know, life is tough. And this is the only way you're going to be able to see past the pain and continue on with your life. And it's just like, well, that is such a good speech. And that is something that, you know, people need to hear. And that's that's why I really like the show. And I don't understand the hate for it, to be perfectly honest, in hindsight. But that's just my opinion. So please email me or find me on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on Ultraman Ginga. And maybe you have a different opinion, and that's okay. Please share it with me. I will give all the contact information at the end of the episode. But this is the end of my Ultraman Ginga analysis for the New Generation June series. Please stick with me. Stick around. And listen to my ruminations on Ultraman Ginga S coming to at you, to you, to your ears in the near future. Thank you. Complete.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Henshin Dad Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever it is you do on your podcast platform of choice. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you would like to contact me, you can reach me by email at henshindad at gmail.com or on Twitter at henshindad. The Henshin Dad Podcast is proud to be part of the Playwell Network, your source for intentional entertainment. Some of the other podcasts in this network include The Backlog Breakdown, which focuses on playing the best games on your backlog while not breaking the bank account on the new and shiny, The Retro Station, a show devoted to more retro and nerdy topics than you can shake a stick at, and Tales from the Rusty Speeder, an interactive actual play Star Wars RPG podcast that seeks to tell an awesome Star Wars story. Once again, thank you for listening, and until next time... Cast off.